0: John, chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.' Then he said to Thomas, "'Put your finger here. See my hands. "'Reach out your hands. Put it into my side. "'Stop doubting and believe.' Thomas said to him, "'My Lord and my God.' Then Jesus told him, "'Because you have seen me, you have believed.' Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen.
1: Well, if you do have your Bibles um, open or your uh, device on the page, it'll be good to to, um, to follow along, to track through uh, this little encounter spread out over one week on two Sunday evenings, and uh, of course uh, we we finished remembering um, the Lord's death and resurrection over Easter last weekend, and um, as you'll know that we've been um, we've been working through the book of John, and we're almost there. I did notice uh, Evan pointed out the other week, and I completely overlooked it. Um, it's good when we have partial team meetings from the pulpit. It's, it's really, you know, I get to learn something new. Uh, we didn't actually do the prayer of Jesus in chapter 17. So we'll, 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 we will return to that. Uh, we tried to line things up uh, to get to Easter. But um, for those that may have noticed and are missing out and thinking, what about that wonderful prayer? Uh, we will get to that. But uh, as we know, John um, is one of the closest disciples uh, to Jesus. There were three uh, in the inner circle, so to speak, of his 12 disciples. Now he's 11 at this point in the story. And uh, John and Jesus were close, as we know. And um, you can, for, for the most part, um, we know that those who witnessed what happened to Jesus over Easter certainly weren't all that close. Perhaps John was. John, maybe out of all of them, was perhaps one of the closest, as he was there with, uh, with Mary, Jesus' mother. And uh, and remember, Jesus from the cross asked John to look after his mother. And so obviously he was closer by. But for the most part, they had all scattered. And those that did witness it would have been witnessing it uh, from a distance, completely confused um, and horrified at what was unfolding. But uh, John wants to continue the story of what happened after Jesus rose. And, And this is really significant. This gives us a clear picture of what God was up to and what he's going to be up to and what he continues to be up to in the world through Jesus. And today we're going to focus on this first evening of the day that Jesus rose from the dead, on what happened for those disciples that Sunday night, which is where our reading takes place. As you heard that reading, I wonder, did you picture it for a moment? Before you rushed to Doubting Thomas, which we will get to, but I wonder if you... We're able to spare a thought of what it would have been like for those first disciples. This is the night of that, that very morning. They've been told that Jesus um, was not in his tomb. The women had come and, and reported that to them and some of them had gone and seen that and, and they're thinking, what in the world? If Friday wasn't bad enough, if Saturday wasn't despairing enough and completely, a completely hopeless time with Jesus in the tomb, how would they be feeling now some 12 hours after they discovered Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, Think about what's transpired for them, that deeply emotional Thursday evening where Jesus spoke to them so intimately uh, as his closest friends where he um, basically reinvented the Passover meal, He, he reapplied it, he said, this Passover meal is actually speaking of me and what's about to happen to me. Think about the emotions that these guys have gone through and then Jesus washing their feet at the start of that. You know, this is their rabbi, their teacher, humbling himself and doing that. And then there was his agony in the garden where he said, Come on, we just need to pray. And they're thinking, You can imagine them thinking, What's wrong with Jesus? What? Okay, let's pray. Something's going on. And of course, they couldn't in their weakness, just like us. They fall asleep at night. And then there's the betrayal by one of his own, one of their own. A tight-knit group for three years, 12 of them, being with Jesus. And one of them turns up with the Roman guards and hands Jesus over. And then, of course, another of one of Jesus' closest disciples, the Apostle Peter. His cowardice, uh, who he really is, comes forward in the time of pressure. And he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. I never knew the man, get away from me. And then, of course, his trial, Jesus' torture, and finally, his crucifixion. The sky turns dark. A curtain is torn in the temple from top to bottom. That's in other gospel accounts. Something miraculous is going on. The earth shakes. There's earthquakes. Even some graves were open, Uh, one of the the gospels uh, tells us. And, of course, Jesus cries out his last. It is finished, and he dies. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. And then just two days later, they discover that he is not there and that he's risen. So think about that day of both concern and now celebration. They find themselves back in the upper room where it all began over a week ago. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus stands before them. There he is, fully resurrected in person, just like it was before the Easter weekend, right then and there in the flesh. Just imagine the swirl of emotions going through their minds going through their hearts, how would they have felt? Obviously joyful, delighted, but no doubt with a sense of sadness. They still have fresh memories of what they witnessed happen to Jesus that led to his death. And then there would have been confusion. I mean, what does all this mean? And you can imagine some of them, perhaps the smarter ones than others, getting there quicker, but trying to figure out and join the dots to what they'd heard Jesus say in those cryptic ways of speaking of the temple being destroyed and three days later being built again and, you know, this this kind of metaphor. what What does this mean, that Jesus is now alive and standing before them? And no doubt they're still gripped with fear. This is terrifying. We know that they were very afraid. And no doubt there would also have been a deep sense of guilt All of them had betrayed Jesus at some point in his deepest, darkest hour of need. And think about this. With all those feelings, what's the first thing Jesus says to them? With that joy, that sadness, that confusion, that fear, that guilt, Jesus' first words, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. You see, what Jesus did on that first Easter evening was to show these frightened, terrified, confused disciples the same grace and mercy and forgiveness and love that he's always shown that he's shown to people from all walks of life in, in his time on earth as he ministered and as he continues to show people jesus stands here as the resurrected lord and he, he stands among them and he offers his peace and, and then to ease their their doubts he showed them his hands and his side this is this is uh, we, we're still often baffled as to, to what it is but this is a an actual body this isn't a ghost this is someone who still bears the marks of what happened to him while he was alive and yet somehow he's there with them and yet he also turned up out of nowhere Um, but here's jesus convincing them of who he was no wonder these disciples were just delighted to see him not only was jesus alive and now present amongst them he'd also forgiven them it seems my peace be with you just straight up forgiveness they haven't asked for it yet they haven't apologized he knows their hearts and he loves them nonetheless and he offers his forgiveness. Most often this passage uh, might draw our attention to John uh, chapter 20 verses 26 and 29. A little bit there about Thomas, the doubting disciple. He's the only one not there on the evening of uh, Easter Sunday in that upper room. And um, so we just thought we'd clear the air. Poor old doubting Thomas. I trust you can read. I can't read that from here. So can you read that from there? So Thomas is saying, all I'm saying is we don't call Peter denying Peter, we don't refer to Mark as runaway naked Mark, that's in Mark's gospel. (laughs) Why should I be saddled with this title? And one of them says, I see your point Thomas, but really it's time to move on. You no, we perhaps get caught up with this Doubting Thomas imagery, and it's a little unfair, he's the only one that gets this tagline right. No one really knows where Thomas was on that first night, but he wasn't there. Uh, a couple of commentators suspect um, that he may have been the only one clear-headed enough to realise they needed food, um, and he might have gone down to whatever food shops might have been around to, to, to get them an evening meal, who knows? But this passage overall is not just about Doubting Thomas. So we're going to move on as well. It's really about all of these disciples. It's about all of us as disciples as well. It's about these men trembling behind that locked door and wondering what on earth was happening. What did all this mean? It's about each and every one of us. As we go about trying to live life, even today, 2,000 years later, lives worthy of that call, worthy of the call that we know our Lord and our Saviour Jesus Christ uh, called us to, worthy of, of his great sacrifice on our behalf, and yet we too still struggle with doubt. Uh, how many of us, I, I, don't, I, I still do, even as a pastor, I still think, really? Did this really happen, you know? You know what I mean? There's just, just those kind of doubts. Or, or for me, the biggest doubt is that was 2,000 years ago. Every single one of them thought that the next chapter, the concluding chapter, would happen in their lifetime. None of them would have known it wasn't going to happen, not only in their lifetime, but in almost countless generations' life still hasn't happened in ours. There's there's lots of things that we can doubt, that we're caused to doubt. What about um, being burdened with fear? These are things, that, as Graham rightly drew our attention to in prayer, the things going on in our world, the news that we hear, uh, things happening in our own personal lives. We can be overwhelmed with fear. Or what about just that sense of constantly falling short of what we know Jesus desires for us, of the kind of relationship we know we can have with him and yet we, it seems so distant at times. And yet this story doesn't just talk about the disciples and us as disciples, it also shows how Jesus comes to us in the midst of those things, in the midst of our doubts and our fears, our sins, our guilt even. And it reveals to us the way that Jesus comes to offer us the same thing he offered them, my peace is with you his grace his mercy and his forgiveness and that's what this gospel reading this morning is really all about it's about the peace which surpasses all understanding the peace which we're told the world cannot understand uh, how many people you know that aren't in Christ yet and, and what's the most what would be the most common thing that people search for it's this or they lack is this sense of peace people are restless um, that, that great early church theologian Augustine said that our hearts are restless until we, we, we fill that hole with God we're at this constant search for peace and that's what we encounter here when we encounter with the disciples uh, that first appearance of the resurrected Jesus who was of course what? The Prince of Peace as the prophet Isaiah would say of him centuries earlier Church, think back to a time in your life, maybe you have already, when you feel as though you've really disappointed God. Is that a common thing? I don't know. Whatever it might be, imagine this. Jesus showing up at that very moment and saying to you, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Because that's what Jesus does for us each and every day. Every time any of those things come into our minds, come into our hearts, imagine standing with Jesus. Imagine Jesus coming to you and hearing his words, peace be with you. That's what he does for each and every one of us. But this account of Jesus and his appearance to his disciples is also about the ways in which we're called to share that peace. This isn't just about us. Nothing ever is with God. It's never about our own personal, private and individual experience. This is something that he offers to the world and wants to share with the world. And and he's called us to share that peace and that joy with people who are in our circles of influence, to live it out, uh, to to share it amongst those we know who are filled with anything but peace. Jesus didn't just um, uh, join the disciples in the upper room so he could celebrate with them of his great resurrection. It wasn't like, told you so. Were you listening? You weren't listening because here I am and you're all shocked. Why the long faces? You know, kind of thing. As glorious and as joyful as that was, and no doubt it was a celebration, but he joined them there to give them a sense of purpose he gave them the gift of the holy spirit and then he sends them out again into the world to continue in this mission it's in verses 21 and 22 as the father has sent me says jesus so i send you and he says that same thing to us as the father has sent me so i send you is what jesus says to us you know up until now we've referred to these uh these men as disciples and, and that word literally means um, uh, learners, a uh, person who learns. Um, and interesting, you know, it's a similar root word to discipline. You now, we often, I don't know about you, maybe it's my problem, but I, we picture discipline as painful, probably because when we were younger, um, some of us, not now, most of you kids wouldn't know what that was. Um, but, um, you know, discipline has been a painful thing. It actually means to learn. It's a teaching opportunity. It's about guiding someone. The disciples were learners. Now they're being called Apostles. They've got a new mission. And and for reference of distinction, I've always found this really helpful. They're capital A apostles. These guys are unique apostles. They've learned many things from Jesus over their time with him. They've heard his words. They've seen his example. He's taught them about the kingdom, about the heavenly father's purpose for them in this world. And now these disciples are being upgraded, for want of a better term. They're becoming apostles. That is, they are disciples who are now being sent they're the sent ones, they're the learners, they've learned. they're continuing to learn, they're practising this lifestyle of, of discipleship, of learning, and now they're going out into the world, they're being sent, which is what apostles mean. Apostle means the sent ones. And Jesus sends these first disciples to be apostles in the world. And they were unique because they were the ones that firsthand specifically and personally witnessed and heard Jesus uh, in his full um, incarnation. God incarnated in Christ. And so they're unique. Um, but in the same way, Jesus sends us out into the world as well to build upon the mission of those first capital A apostles. And so you and I, in many ways, have a role too. We are, in many ways, small A apostles. We're not only disciples, but we're also sent ones in the same way. As followers of Jesus, that's who we are. We too have been sent into the world. We're the sent out people of God. doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what age you are doesn't matter what stage of life you're in doesn't matter um, what walk of life you've come from what experiences have happened to you good bad ugly and every every other kind the calling's the same straight from our crucified and resurrected lord to go and bring his peace achieved through Jesus on the cross to the world But you know what the good news is jesus doesn't just leave us there either he doesn't send us out and say well you've heard everything off you go all by yourself he doesn't just tell us to go into mission the miracle of the resurrection is that he gives us this gift of the holy spirit after he said uh, to those first disciples as the father sent me so i send you jesus breathed on them the scripture tells us and he said receive the holy spirit if you forgive anyone's sins their sins are forgiven if you do not forgive them they are not forgiven Uh, I'm not going into that too deeply other than to say this if you've pondered it or you're wondering what that means. That's a profoundly communal thing. You think about that, how powerful our community must be as the church, as disciples of Jesus, that when we forgive one another, we are truly, we receive God's forgiveness, we are forgiven. And conversely, if you do not forgive someone, they're not forgiven. That's a radical teaching, isn't it? That's a radical... uh, since they stand to our expectation, it's a radical plan that God has, a gift that He's given to us as His people, that we are to be so tight as a community, so equal and levelled in Christ Jesus, so humble in Christ Jesus, that we are to offer forgiveness to those who have wronged us, whether they've asked for it or not. That's a real challenge. I know it's a challenge for me. I don't know about you, but my um, back of my mind clause is, um, well, I haven't actually asked for forgiveness, so you know maybe I'll wait till they ask for it. For- that, that's human thinking. Listen to this, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And that's what Jesus says as he breathes the power of the person of the Holy Spirit into them. Uh, what does that remind you of, by the way, that image of Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit into his disciples? Well, I can almost imagine those disciples thinking back to the creation story. Maybe some of you have as well. When was the last time we read of God breathing life, breathing his presence into, into human beings? It was when he breathed his breath into Adam, right? The creation story. God took dust from the ground and he'd already created all the other living beings and he took, takes dust from the ground and then separate to them, he breathed into, into uh, what he had formed. He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. So just as the Father did at the beginning, now the Son is doing to these first disciples. It's a new kind of creation, right? A new kind of creation in Christ. And that's what happens to each of us when we come to faith in Jesus. In that moment, the Spirit of God comes alive in us. That's already been at work in us, convicting us of our need for Jesus. And then he comes alive in us and Jesus is breathing his life into us. We are now new creations. We're brothers and sisters. We're not just dust that'll return to dust. We are now, we, we've got God living in us. And we're now brothers and sisters in Christ, people who will live forever with the same God that breathed himself into us. This new life that God breathes doesn't just start in heaven after we die, it starts right now. It begins here on earth through the gift of the Spirit given to us when we turn from our ways and we put our trust and faith in Jesus. And that's the good news. The good news of Jesus doesn't just end with his death and resurrection as important and significant as the Easter weekend is and was. Now he wants to breathe this new life into us. He gives us these new lives to live in the here and now. And so really, you know, the question of 2,000 years and that kind of doubt, well, why It doesn't matter, does it? We have our time that God has given us. We have our time. Our moment, our several decades, however long God grants us to go and live as new creations in this world. Jesus wants to breathe new life into his world through us. As the Father sends me, so I send you. Our world so desperately needs that, doesn't it? And where do you think that new life's going to come from? Well, it comes from Jesus by his spirit and it's given through us. We're the ones that continue Jesus' mission. Well, it might be time to quickly talk about Thomas because no sooner than a week later than this first evening of Easter Sunday, uh, Jesus appears again to the disciples. And that's what the first disciples did, didn't they? They went and obeyed Jesus straight up. They now filled with the Spirit from that first encounter on Easter Sunday. Uh, They went and they ran out of that upper room and they went and shared the joy of Christ's resurrection and and the peace that they could experience with the whole world right well we don't know if they did but it, if they did it's not recorded here for us they certainly didn't right away a week after uh, that first sunday we find those disciples they're back in the upper room the doors locked again and has anything really changed since that first sunday well jesus shows up and this time he's really cranky right this time he's going to give them a pep talk he's going to say guys you're still here what are you doing it's been a week I sent you out last week. Why are you still here? Of course he doesn't do that. How does he greet them again? Exactly the same way. Peace be with you. There's no judgment for those in Christ Jesus. Peace be with you. He says it again. And this time, unlike that first meeting, Thomas is there with the rest of the disciples. And Jesus turns to Thomas, the one who's declared, sorry guys, I don't believe it. I I wasn't there. I was out getting dinner, but... um, if you say, I don't believe it, just by you saying so. And this week later, this is the one who says, unless I see the nail holes and put my hand in his side, the wound in his side, I won't believe. And Jesus says, here, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Isn't he full of grace? He could have said, oh, sorry, and, you know, who are you? You, you weren't here last week. You've, you, you've, you've missed out. Um And you doubt too, you know, I can see your heart. No, no, no. He actually actually helps Thomas with his doubt. Well, here I am. Here are the wounds. Now stop doubting and believe. What amazing patience Jesus has, not only with Thomas, but with all the disciples, including you and I as well. Well, again and again, in the midst of our doubts and our fears, and in the midst of our sin and our failings, here is Jesus, our crucified and risen Lord, And he comes to us and he offers us peace. In fact, I want to encourage us as a church. I'm going to do this from now on. Every time I come to prayer, I'm going to imagine for a second, before I pray, I'm going to imagine Jesus saying, peace be with you. You know, one of the ancient um, sayings amongst God's people in the church, other than Christ is risen, he's risen indeed, is peace be with you and also with you. That's what we say. We say the words of Jesus those first words that he greeted his disciples with. And we continue to pass that on to one another. Again and again, Jesus says, peace be with you. Again and again, he comes and he says to us, do not doubt, do not doubt, stop doubting, just believe. Stop doubting, just believe. And again and again, he forgives us as he breathes new life into us. He reminds us of our mission each time to go and share this peace this mercy, this forgiveness that He's achieved for us, that He's granted to us freely, that we and is available freely for everyone, and He sends us out to bring that joy and that hope of this new life. Because you have seen Me, said Jesus, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know who He's speaking about there? Us, right? Us. We don't get to put our fingers in in, in the holes in His hands. We don't get to, to, to touch and see. I know people have, uh, have, have had experiences of, of, of God visiting them and speaking to them. That's a beautiful thing. Um, but, but we haven't had the same experience that these disciples, blessed are those, blessed are those, even more so is what Jesus is implying here, of those who have not seen and yet have believed. We've never seen Jesus, but we're the ones who truly live by faith in our great and awesome God let's pray heavenly father we thank you again for the privilege of your word recorded for us so we can stand in in those same situations and imagine along with our fellow disciples those first apostles what it must have been like to see jesus for the first time in their presence father we thank you that through your spirit living in us we get to see jesus through your word as we engage and meet him there as we hear and listen and picture ourselves there we get to see you through him but father most of all we want to thank you this morning for your abundant and uh, never-ending peace that you grant us that we can have forgive us we pray again for our doubts we know father that that doubt can bring great strength to faith so it's all part of the journey but we do ask for strength to believe we ask for strength to believe and courage to believe these things that we hear and encourage one another with and and sing about and, and read together and focus on and spend time in. We ask that you give us great courage in these things as we live out this new life in Christ that we've been given in our part of the world. Father, we thank you for those that you brought amongst us over the weekend. You know the hearts of each one, those that come regularly, those that come uh, sporadically those that have perhaps come uh, out of obligation or uh, to tick a box and those who may have been here even for the first time. Father, do your work through your spirit in their hearts and in their lives and, and through us as we encounter and, and mix with people and serve people um, in our circles of influence. We ask this so that you'd be glorified so that your kingdom might grow and so that we would see an abundant number of people come to faith and trust in Jesus, the resurrected Lord as their Lord and Saviour too. We ask this in his name. Amen.